GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us for this week's podcast. And we're going to be talking about the payroll tax issue, which I'm sure many of you would be aware of has uh, reared its head, I suppose, as a concern for medical practices. Uh, but I just wanted to just be very clear from the start is that we're not intending to give you any legal or accounting advice. Uh, I'm going to be introducing you in a moment to Matt Willard, uh, who runs the National Skin Cancer Centres, and talk about what actions and things they've done with relation to trying to best protect them for it. So just to put it in context, so everyone understands what we're talking about. So in the different states, the state revenue officers are taking a view that doctors, even though they are employed as subcontractors, and typically that's how the relationship between a doctor and the place that they may choose to see their patients, um, is that looking at it from the perspective of, no, they're no longer subcontractors, they're actually employees. And as a result of that, would then be falling into having to pay payroll tax on the doctor's revenue. Now, just to understand the quantum of this is that in many states, the, you know, it does vary state to state, but let's just use 5%. So every dollar, obviously, the doctor earns is going to be an additional 5% cost, which then has to be borne somewhere. And most general practices, to be honest, from our experience of dealing with them, are obviously not in a great financial position. I'm not saying that they're all about to go broke, but definitely this is one of those areas that if this tax was put into general practices uh, or to primary care practices, um, this could effectively bankrupt a lot of clinics or at least make it very marginal to be run the, the business. The other consequence, of course, is, well, who would end up being paying this would then be pushed on to potentially our patients who already know are sort of being quite vocal in the media around obviously the affordability of seeing their doctors. And this would make it once again, even more expensive to come and see their GPs. So um, Matt, anything else to add? And well, as far as this introduction to payroll tax before we yeah, talk about- Yeah, I think you, you clearly outlined the potential risk to the, to the general practice industry. I also think it's probably noteworthy to say that it's not just about introducing payroll tax to these practices from today. Um, the, my understanding is the state revenue office can backdate the tax. Is it five years, Paul, they can go back? Yeah, they yeah. can go back five years and they can actually apply penalties to it as well. So it's a, it's a, it is actually a very significant um, risk to the industry. And look, it's one of those sort of things is that uh, some of the, the things that have been talked about as far as trying to help minimise this, you know, would change the complete structure and relationship between a practice and the doctor to potentially the doctor having to be responsible for receiving money and then potentially chasing patients who don't pay. And I think that most doctors, you know, work in practices so they can just focus on being a doctor and helping patients. I don't think any doctor really wants to become a debt collector or have to do more administration because of, you know, once again, how uh, the state revenue offices. So just to be clear for everybody, this is the state revenue office looking at the definition of what is a subcontractor and, a, and an employee. So that's where this is coming from. Every state has a different view on this at the moment. We've got, for example, in Western Australia, there is no payroll tax. So this is not an issue for Western Australian doctors. Uh, in Queensland, they recently announced they're gonna have a moratorium in a sense they're not pursuing it at this point in time, 
but that doesn't mean they're not going to pursue it again in the future. And we can see at the moment from cases that have gone before the courts, uh, there's been one uh, recently called Thomas and Naz, where the clinic was found to, to effectively have treated their doctors as employees and had to back pay payroll tax, that the New South Wales State Revenue Office is probably the most active as such. So I'm just conscious that, you know, we're talking about this. I mean, um, the practices that Matt looks after is all across Australia, but there are certain areas where it really is obviously call it uh, something we need to be concerned about. And there's other areas where we might buy a bit more time or I said in Western Australia, it doesn't, it's not really a factor at all. So I'd like to introduce you to Matt Willard. Matt Willard is the COO of the National Skin Cancer Centres who operate 21 practices across Australia, have practices in pretty much every state. And Matt, I think what we just want to talk about here is having been aware of this being an issue for some time, I mean, this is not, call it, new information. This has been something that's, call it, been in discussion for a period of probably about two or three years. Just keen for you to share... I think some of the things that you've learned from and then also what you've done, you know, at, at, at the practice level to try and help, I suppose, the business case that the doctor is a subcontractor, not an employee, um, because really, as I said, is that body of evidence of, you know, what that does look like. Actually, the, going one step further, it's really about defining the relationship between us and our doctors and the term you, know, you use it subcontractor or independent contractor is probably not the right term to use because even as an independent contractor or a subcontractor, state revenue looks at that as a quasi-employment agreement and would say, well, really, they're just employees dressed up as contractors, therefore payroll tax can apply. The key thing is that our doctors are technically our clients. So our business is one in which we provide a facility to a client being a doctor in which they practice medicine from and they see their patients, they invoice their patients, and they essentially pay us what we call turnover rent, similar, similar to how some shopping centres operate, for the use of our facility. So the, the patient pays the doctor, the doctor pays us for the use of the facility. So they're not contracting to us, we're technically contracting to them in the sense that we're providing them a facility, facilities and a service, rather than them providing us a, a facility or a service. So in that, we spent about the last two years putting a number of things into place based on advice that we have. And look, the advice doesn't say to us, do this and you are protected from payroll tax. The advice is do this and your improvement, you know, your protection will be improved, but there's no guarantees, there's no assurances from any of the advice that we, we've taken that these measures will actually work, but I'll run you through them. So firstly, our doctors bill the patients, which means that on the receipt that the patient receives, the doctor's ABN number is on that receipt. So the doctor is clearly billing the patient. We hold all of our doctor's income in a separate standalone bank account. Then fortnightly, our doctors pay us their service fee from that account and take their, their income out of that account. And that account is essentially emptied every two weeks. Now, I have heard of, and you can do, you can have a separate bank account for each doctor. We've chosen for an operational point of view to have one joint account, but I do know practices that have gone as far as setting up completely separate accounts for each doctor. 
and each doctor has their own FPOS terminal. And you could also go as far as having the payment from the doctor go straight into the doctor's personal account. And then you get the doctor to pay you their service fee back, which we definitely weren't interested in going down that pathway because it would become a, an accounting nightmare for everybody. And the last thing our doctors want to deal with is trying to sort out all their payments. That's what they pay us to do. So that's how we've set up our banking system. So we also created invoice for our doctors for their service fee, which we produce every fortnight. Another key point is that when it comes to our financials, on our P&L and, and all of our financials, you, we never ever record the gross billings in any part of our financials. And we also don't record anywhere our payment to our doctors as an expense. The only income in our financials is the service fee that we receive. And I think that was one of the main issues that brought Thomas and Nash unstuck is because they actually received the gross billings, put that on their P&L, and then had the doctor's payment as an, as an expense, which we don't do. So we also have a facilities agreement in place with all of our doctors. And this is not a contract. It is simply an agreement which outlines how our doctors work with our business. And the agreement includes that it identifies our doctors are tenants and they pay us for the use of the facility based on their turnover. It is identifying the patients as the doctor's patients. The agreement does not place any obligations from the doctor back to the business, such as agreeing to work certain hours, restricting where else they can practice, and for the doctors to record and maintain clinical notes and to carry insurance. And these two points seem rather, why would we not have those included? Because technically the medical board and APRA require doctors to do that. So there's no need for us to have put those obligations into the agreement. It just paints us more as an employer by doing that. Um, also, our doctors do not request annual leave. They simply close off their appointment book when they don't want to see patients and they reopen it again. So they have complete control over the hours they work. And our doctors also set all of their own fees. So we don't tell a doctor what you need to charge for a procedure. They tell us, I want to charge this amount for a procedure and I want to charge this much for a skin check. They set their fees. They also decide who they're going to provide a discount to, such as a pensioner or a family friend, or who they're going to bulk bill. And they also have full clinical autonomy to treat their patients how they choose. We don't tell our doctors how to practice medicine. So Paul, that's essentially what we put in place to protect our business from a potential payroll tax liability. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thanks for sharing. I think you know the the, the key point is um, some of the you know suppositions I think that the payroll tax office would have with relation to you know what's the definition once again of a doctor who's considered as an employee has yet to be properly tested in court. As Matt mentioned, the um, the, the case that's recently gone through and, and lost on appeal. Uh, was related to once again a, a practice that was you know banking all the doctors' revenue and then showing them as an expense line item, which was you know probably um, you know one of those things. So, but there's other elements of this particular thing which is yet to be tested. And I think that uh, what Matt's saying is that the reason we can't, well, anyone can say, well, if you did this, then you're you know you're 100% sorted, is because most of this stuff really hasn't been tested in court as yet, and ultimately. You know, I think that all we just wanted to, to basically share with everybody is 
it is a real issue. It's a real issue based on where your practice happens to be based. Um, its implications are significant if it is, because as I said, it can be backdated five years with penalties. So it's not just going forward. It could also be back paying as well, which would obviously be um, a massive um, you know, cash hit for most business, most practices. And, you know, we obviously don't want to see practices struggling any more than they already are with relation to this. Now, as far as, you know, solutions to it, to be honest, you know, one is obviously hopefully, um, you know, maybe it does get tested in court and then we've, you know, found that doctors are exempt because, for example, in, you know, subcontractors, there's a thing called the 80-20 rule. At what point you are determined to be a subcontractor versus an employee, doctors are exempt from those uh, from that classification. So there are cases where doctors have been exempted from because of the nature of how they work and what they do. So I suppose that part of it is, you know, just keep your eye on this. It is something that, you know, we would advise getting probably some legal advice if you are a practice owner. Um, you know, and as it says, a practicing doctor, it's not in your interest, obviously, for the practice to you know, be struggling financially or once again, having more in costs imposed, which then have to be passed on to your patients uh, to make, you know, once again, uh, healthcare less affordable. And, and obviously the risk is if the price of medicine at a primary care level goes up, then they're just going to see more people going into the public health system, which is obviously, you know, struggling as it is. So I think sometimes um, maybe not, maybe once again, the authorities don't understand the consequences of what this might happen to be. So partially, once again, whether this is tested in court, but, you know, my view also is there might need to be, um, you know, public pressure applied upon politicians, because obviously this is something they can pursue or choose to let go or, or at least um, change the rules with relation to it. As I said, it's, we understand obviously that governments want to uh, collect as much tax as they can to obviously, you know, fund the services that we provide. And we're very supportive of that, but we also need to be mindful of, you know, some decisions that are made and then also the consequences that has across the wider community. I and mean, this will affect every patient that goes and sees a GP if this is put across the board. So, um, look, Matt, I just want to thank you very much for your time with relation to it. As I said, I just want to remind everybody, none of this is legal or accounting advice. This was just Matt sharing from some of the advice we've got, some of the strategies we've put in place to put us in a better position, hopefully, maybe in the future, if this was to come to bear. Um, but really, as I said, until it gets really tested in court and we get to understand how the rule of law is being applied, will we actually know what actions we do have to take going forward? But it is something which, as I said, we need to be very conscious of because it could sneak up on us in the background and then suddenly we're faced with an imposition that we will prefer not to have for us and our patients. So, Matt, thanks very much for your time again. You're welcome. Anytime. Excellent. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Hope it's a, uh, some assistance to you. And we look forward to seeing you on another podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.